2: star talk your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide star talk begins right now
3: hello seattle welcome to a very fun thing It is my great pleasure to bring out the incredible Neil Tyson! Ladies and gentlemen, we have some other wonderful guests. I'd like to bring out Paul F. Tompkins! Kristen Scholl! Eugene we have an empty We seat. have one more seat. Let's try to fill it with somebody.
2: Join me in giving a warm Seattle welcome for the one, the only Will Wheaton from Star Trek. <laughs> 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 so, the subject of this evening will be the Geek Mecca. And we're just trying to understand the Geekiverse. Here we are in Seattle, home of Microsoft, the head of which is the patron saint of all geeks, Bill Gates. And I have a quick Bill Gates story, if I may.
4: Is he here tonight? You better check.
2: (laughs) Where is he? Is he in a special box? I'm betting not. I did this calculation. If you want to know how rich Bill Gates is, (laughs) I asked myself, what is the smallest denomination coin I'll bend over and pick up in the street? That's a measure of your wealth, right, I think? So, I make enough money, I'm not picking up the pennies or nickels anymore. It's a measure anymore.
4: of your wealth or your superstition. Okay. Well, so if you do you're me- a child
5: of the 80s, you pick up a quarter every time you see it because video games.
2: Yeah, not only that, a quarter is like for laundry and for like car parking meters.
3: So I pick I- up socks if I think no one's worn them.
2: <laughs> so, I pick up quarters. Sometimes I don't pick up dimes if I'm in a hurry. So, I'm in between a dime and a quarter. <laughs> So now you ratio that of my income to what that might be for Bill Gates. It's $45,000. <laughs> so if he finds $45,000 in the street, up oh, too busy, got to walk past it, make decisions at Microsoft. So I'm going to do a Kickstarter,
5: and it's just for, to fund me following Bill Gates around to pick up the money he leaves on the ground.
6: What if... It's all-in-ones, so it looks like way more money.
2: Yeah, that's... uh, I don't
6: know if he's got Rain
2: Man-like abilities where he can instantly count a pile of bills on the street. He probably has some kind of talent such as that. So, I got one of the geek saints right here to my right. You took some seriously geek roles in a lot of TV programs.
5: I was an enormous Star Trek fan. Before I was cast in Next Generation, as Wellesley Crusher. Yeah, in- you know what? I'm actually I'm so much of a Star Trek That's where fan. I know you from. Oh, this now, was killing me. Now, aren't you glad that I didn't just tell you? Because I, I would have robbed you of no, the bl- joy of that discovery. I appreciate that. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. I remembered um, toy soldiers, and then it sort of blank after.
2: Yeah, you
5: in the entertainment industry until about 2006.
2: Um, So, so Wellesley Crusher in Star Trek The Next Generation, TNG, if you're in the circle.
5: Right. If you're very busy, you don't have time to say things like The Next Generation. (laughs) Um, I'm such a big Star Trek fan that I noticed that your sideburns are actually pointy.
2: He noticed!
1: He noticed!
2: (laughs) (laughs) I used to have 1970s mutton chop sideburns. They were in style at the time, okay? And then I, I transitioned, and I said my homage to Star Trek was to do the pointy so, the so so was... first person to ever notice that is right here, to my right.
5: Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so, when I was a kid and I was working on Star Trek, uh, LeVar Burton and I were the only two original Next Gen cast members who were very proud, out-of-the-closet Star Trek fans. Nobody else really knew the show like we did. I did things like when I was flying the spaceship. You know, like you do. Uh, it was... <laughs> The buttons that we had didn't really do anything. It's it's kind of. Yeah, I know. Really? But I invented a series of buttons, and this particular series made the ship go to warp speed. This particular series of of buttons uh, put us into standard orbit. Nobody knew it, nobody cared about it, but it was very important to me.
4: Well, it probably showed in your face. Maybe. Like you're acting. Yeah.
5: The Robert De Niro
3: space shuttle button
5: pushing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wrote a book about it uh, that nobody wanted to buy. (laughs) (laughs) What's it? uh, Memories of the Future? Memories of the Future, Volume 1 is a book that I wrote. uh, Wait, wait, is there a Volume 2? The Volume 2 is in the works. I was writing Volume 2. And then I started working all the time as an actor on The Big Bang Theory and Eureka and Leverage. Totally and, cool.
2: That's, and we <laughs> have that in common.
5: I had a cameo on The Big Bang Theory. I know that you, you know did. that. They talk about you on the set. I was just Julia. there last week. You, in, another, in another episode. In another episode. It'll air in, in, in like
2: two or three weeks. I played myself. So do I. <laughs> how,
0: except,
2: e- how evil wait, are you? Except you play a real dick on the show. I do. And it, isn't it isn't it like the Will Wheaton? It's Wheaton's law. Wheaton's law. Don't be a dick. It is. Okay. So. However, so in the universe
5: gr- of the Big Bang Theory,
2: Will Wheaton is evil. Oh, so it's your evil other person.
5: Yes. It, oh. Yes. We look exactly the same.
2: We sound exactly the same. You're just the evil one. Only uh, he is the evil twin. Now here's the problem. I'm not an actor, so I had to give me, have them give me lines that I would have spoken at some time in my life.
5: Oh, so you got to say all the crazy techno-babble physics stuff that
2: kicked my ass when I was doing Star Trek. <laughs> no, no, it was simpler than that. I said I was kind of deep in the Pluto situation, yeah. so any uh. sentence that had Pluto in it, I'm good for it. So I got into a kerfuffle with Sheldon about yeah. Pluto because he, he still wanted Pluto to be a planet, and I just, you know... That's not happening here, right? the, the The Pluto situation sounds to me like the title of like a segment in a
5: Tarantino film.
2: Did no, you... Here we go. Wait, wait. wait. We're in the, Plu- in the Neptune theater? Yeah. May I? So... This theater actually spins the other way, right? <laughs> so first of all, Pluto is so misbehaved, it crosses the orbit of Neptune. In such a way that between 1979 and 1999... Pluto was closer to the sun than Neptune was. That's just no kind of behavior for a planet. Second, if Neptune were a Chevy Impala. (laughs) Not this analogy again. I am really liking where this is going. (laughs) So if Neptune is a Chevy Impala, Pluto is to Neptune as what car is to a Chevy Impala? Like, would it be like a Mini Cooper? Would it be, what's that little itty bitty? Like a smart car? The smart car? No, Neptune is to Pluto as a Chevy Impala is to a matchbox car sitting on the curb. Now that's just embarrassing.
6: Wait, that's no, all. No,
2: that's just embarrassing, that analogy I made up.
6: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so will. I am embarrassed for the thing that turned out not so good in my estimation. <laughs> I,
2: I'm embarrassed so, like... for Pluto. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're continuing the broadcast of our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, recorded on March 30th, 2012. Along with my comedic co-host Eugene Merman. Joining me on stage that night were his fellow comedians, Kristen Shaw and Paul F. Tompkins, as well as the actor Will Wheaton. Let's get back to the deck of the Enterprise. Okay. Okay. There's all this technology there. I know it's fake technology, but it's still technology we can think about. Yeah. So I remember the original thinking, could that happen or could it not happen? And I'm thinking, all right, they got this thing that makes food hot real quick. Okay, maybe that'll happen (laughs) one day.
6: I'm I'm sorry.
2: I don't remember any scenes
6: of the original Star Trek where they just heated up food. No, there is. What? There's a... but they would like it would food make would ma- food. It
3: would materialize yes. hot. Exactly.
6: That is different it wasn't from just like, being computer. Uh, set
5: pot pie to warmer
6: than now.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> they of clearly the- never watched the third season
2: of the original Star Trek. <laughs> of all the technologies with the tricorder and right. the communicator. The one that I said this will never happen in 500 years was where the doors opened up just by walking in front of it. It's like, no, that'll never happen. That's how old I am. was a less... day when doors did not open for you when you approached them.
5: Patrick Stewart and I did a scene once in Next Generation where Picard and Wesley are
2: going wait, wait, I gotta to... ask, why did he have a French name and he spoke with a British accent? Jean well... Luc Picard and he speaks Brit. Right.
5: Well, probably because sometime between now and then, Britain probably just storms across the channel and (laughs) occupies France. But you think they built the channel for convenience? (laughs) So Patrick and I did this scene once where we're on a star base, and I think Wesley's going to have his artificial heart replaced. So they had built this set that had this glass door, just a a regular door with a handle on it. And we walked up to it and I said to Patrick, Wesley has never experienced a door that doesn't just open for him. (laughs) So let's do this thing when they're rolling where we'll walk up and I'll just stop there and look at it. Like what the hell is going on? What do you do with this? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and and then he was like, oh, and then I'll look at you like, oh, kids, and then I'll push the door open and go through. (laughs) And we did it and it made it into the episode. (laughs) So we're doing, like, this kind of schlocky physical comedy bit on Star Trek, and I guess we just snuck it through.
2: Every now and then, I think it it maybe needed it. Well, because our science was airtight. (laughs) (laughs) So I I got my list here. So we had the warp drive. You need that, of course. Right, yeah. Because here's the galaxy, and you're on one side of the galaxy. You want to get to the other. In case you didn't know, the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years so traveling at the speed of light if you watched a ship do that it would take a hundred thousand years so they invoke the warp drive hundred
4: thousand years is equal to one light year
2: no a hundred
4: thousand what's a light light years
2: is a hundred thousand light years
4: well how long is a light year
2: uh so a light year is a distance
4: and how far is that it
2: is 5.8 trillion miles thank you yeah thank you okay good (laughs) <laughs> so, 5.8 trillion times 100,000, that's how many miles that is. Okay. Okay, so now, put that in That would the warp- take years. <laughs> that's right. It's
5: okay. We can give it
2: more power. <laughs> that's exactly right. So you warp space so where you are gets closer to where you're trying to go and then you go through a little wormhole, you unwarp space and there you are. And you got there during the TV commercial. That's how that works, right? <laughs> So warp drives, I'm cool with that. Tell me about Captain Kirk. Yeah. He had a way with the alien ladies. He most certainly did. And why would first the aliens be female? Right? I mean, right. there's life on Earth that is non-gender, and he's yes. going to another planet, and there's gender. Right. And then he...
3: Yeah, why doesn't he have sex with gender-neutral-like piles of alien goo? <laughs> it's...
5: <laughs> it's a very intriguing yeah. <laughs> exploration. Well, actually, in the uh, classic Star Trek episode, Devil in the Dark, no one ever really explains how that horda became pregnant.
2: Oh, the horda. That was that life form based silicon-based on... Silicon-based life. Silicon-based form. Based life. Right. silicon Directly below carbon on the periodic table.
4: So they were boning. Right. Uh, ooh la
2: la. No 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 no. No they don't bone with each other. Oh. They each bone with the same other elements. Oh so they have an understanding. They have a total it's understanding. An open element bone. So right. So it was a pregnant <laughs> silicon-based right. life. Yeah. yeah so, and so you'll if, notice
5: that it's little babies. Didn't have any hair, just like William Shatner.
2: Ooh. <laughs> So the point is, we are carbon-based chemistry, and in principle, you can create life such as we based on any element in that column on the periodic table.
5: You know, one of my favorite sci-fi novels ever is Larry Niven's Ringworld, and it is one of the books that really helped me understand that I was... Totally different from everybody else that I knew. That I was really nerdy. That I really loved science. That this imagined world was more interesting than my own. And what really blew me away about that was just the scope of the ring world itself and how it stays in place and all of those things. And, and I know it's unstable. I'm getting there. And and and, and, and someone so, in the audience
2: <laughs> said it's unstable. Yeah. So that so you well,
5: guys have a science bag. Please don't keep
3: know. it down.
2: So, okay. so, so, so there's nothing more entertaining To the non-geek than watching geeks Argue over non-existent <laughs> Future worlds I liked right. how so, this
3: guy
6: was trying to head it off Because as if Will was going to say So we should do that Right? <laughs> we should make it a reality
4: I'm just so, stuck on the fact that we glossed over So you'll take a uh, space and you'll flip it over Like a tortilla and you'll get there I'm cool with that I'm not what kind of energy are they using <laughs> to take all of space and put it into a bowl and just flip over? But you Can like, you explain <laughs> it with what? a
6: different ethnic food? <laughs> <It's a laughs> she doesn't like Mexican. Okay. So, anyway, sorry, and, wait, 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 it takes an enormous
2: amount of energy to do that.
1: Okay. Maybe the
3: energy of all of the stars in the known universe? Approximately that, actually. Lucky so, guess. Good guess, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: So anyway,
5: so Niven's going to conventions and he's speaking about Ringworld and people in the audience are shouting out, the Ringworld is unstable. So he writes a second book called Ringworld Engineers, where he goes to repair the Ringworld because that's a good way to spend your time. And in <laughs> yeah. that book, there's all this interspecial sex. And it's the way that they consummate a deal by engaging in this interspecial sex.
2: But does that lead to offspring?
5: Uh, I don't think Donkeys. it does. No, I don't I don't think it does. There'll be mules, mules yeah, What I think. about
4: STDs? Well, <laughs> space
5: STDs. Some, some some people think that that's actually how Rick Santorum was formed. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, due to his antipathy to science, we haven't been able to actually test.
2: Right. So Christian, there's actually a point of history about STDs if I may.
1: Please. Yeah.
2: Okay. I was going to say, Neil, what do you know about STD?
4: Yeah. <laughs> and stop you. asking permission. I, I, so, I,
2: so if you are of a planet, if you're from Earth, you're Earthling. Mars, you're Martian. If you're Jupiter, you're Jovian. Actually, on a show the other day, I said Jupiterian. It was more fun to say that, but it's officially Jovian. So here's the thing. This is what the astronomers came up with to call what you are if you're from these planets. The problem is the planet names are Roman, So the genitive form of those words for Venus would not give you Venusian. It would give you venereal. (laughs) And the medical doctors got to that word before we did because they found a disease peculiar to lovemaking and what god of the planets is of lovemaking and beauty and all that. I know this. It's Venus. It's Venus. So Venus, and so it's not
3: sex, Hermes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sex, sex, Hermes. So when the astronomers how are we going to name He's in these planets? The <laughs> so this
6: was like this was their sort of quaint Downton Abbey-an way of. <laughs>
2: talking about STDs. Well, yes. Yeah, so they got the word before we, because they isolated STDs before we started thinking about aliens from these planets. And so when we said, we, if we're going to call someone from Venus venereal, that just doesn't work. So we invented this new name, Venusians. So now you have interspecies sex. Do we answer, did they have STDs?
5: well you know i don't know it wasn't it, covered it, in, it in the book no, well, but, but actually but two in Ringworld world they don't but i mean that's sort of ring just...
4: sounds like an std right there well, it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
5: well it is unstable as we heard
1: <laughs>
5: i guess but like, you raise an interesting point like how did captain kirk's dick not just
6: fall off <laughs> I guess that conversation took place between the scenes. Like that I was. It's like, one of the, oh, 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 oh! Before we do this, yeah, I do have to know. <laughs> Will you disintegrate my dick?
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill, that was probably some acting work he was doing in his face. Right, right. Team, yeah. I lose yeah. my dick, yeah. but it's worth it. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. The hot blue babes.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx.
1: PXG.com slash StarTalk Code StarTalk
2: Welcome back to StarTalk Radio I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson Our live show at the Neptune Theatre in Seattle continues with Eugene Merman, Kristen Shawl, Paul F. Tompkins, and Will Wheaton You can also watch a video of this show on the Google YouTube Nerdist channel. Check out our website for more details at StarTalkRadio.net So tell me about the holodeck. I didn't see every episode. Did you ever get to go on the holodeck?
5: I did. I spent a great deal of time. I was actually in the holodeck on the pilot. And
2: what were you imagining for your own world? In the pilot of... The holodeck is a room you go into and live out all of your fantasies, right?
5: Right. It's sort of like the internet. Um, (laughs) But real. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The idea was that the galaxy-class starships in Next Generation would go farther and they would be out in space longer than the constitution-class ships in the original Star Trek series. So in order to keep people from, like, uh, you know, uh, going... Killing uh, everyone. Yeah, that. They did a couple of things. They put families on the ship so that people could be with their families, which is a super great idea when you're sending a thing out into unknown space where you're definitely going to be involved in wars and things. And then they built these holodecks that would let people go and sort of escape the drudgery of being on a starship. The problem with that is that the holodecks
2: constantly malfunctioned. This imaginary thing called the holodeck malfunctioned. Yeah, it turned into but, a plot since device. But since it's imaginary, they could have just not made it malfunction. It, it would be that funny right.
3: if in the first episode of Star Trek, they all went into space with their families, then all the families died right away. I mean, yeah. I guess it's good that that didn't happen. Right.
4: I would think that the holodeck would be really addictive, too. Like, how do you keep people there out act- of the holodeck? There was... I'd be in there the whole time.
5: Yeah, <laughs> and really? the worst job on the spaceship is the guy that has to go in and mop up the holodeck. That's the worst.
2: So... They they got the UV light, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
5: But it's a great idea. And right now, I'm voicing an audiobook called Masters of Doom. And it's about John Romero and John Carmack, the guys that invented Wolfenstein 3D and then Doom and then Quake. And it was the holodeck on Next Generation that was really driving Carmack to program 386 computers to do really incredible, technologically
2: astounding things. Star Trek is influencing the creativity. Of video engineers
5: Yes, and if you assume that Next generation exists at a point In the future of our timeline, it creates this interesting Paradox that people are watching Star Trek and then developing Technology that was inspired by Star Trek that then Star Trek uses
2: So one of my favorite devices On the deck was the visor That Geordi wore. Yeah, sure. Did that have an official Name?
5: It was just the visor, and Visor's an acronym, but I don't remember what it stands for Does anybody in the audience know what it stands for?
4: Got to be for vision. Right? Visual, independent, surreal, or reality. Yeah, that's actually that's right. I yeah. love any acronym Excellent.
6: that
2: includes or. Yeah, the or <laughs> like, we haven't nailed this down, but we need to call it something. So here's the oh, thing: wait. in astrophysics, we basically have that, but you don't wear it. Right, So there's visible light, and we used to only build telescopes that viewed visible light in the universe. Fools. And then we said, yeah, we're empowered by these telescopes. And then we discovered, wait a minute, there's this thing called infrared, which sits right on the other side of red, and something called ultraviolet, which sits beyond violet. And so then we built telescopes sensitive in those reach, and the universe is doing something else. We look in the same spot. And it's something else happening there. In fact, with ultraviolet telescopes, we discovered black holes. And so then we said, what's beyond ultraviolet? Then you find x-rays. There's x-ray things going on in the universe. And then on the other side of the infrared, there's microwaves. And then radio waves. And then gamma rays. And the whole electromagnetic spectrum is talking to us from the universe. And we've got a telescope lined up in every band. You're walking a
3: fine line towards conspiracy theory, but I believe you.
5: One of the things that I loved about Gene Roddenberry, the creator uh, of Star Trek, Trek, he was a good friend of mine when we were working on the show and was sort of a mentor to me. And the secular humanism of Star Trek informed 100% of my morality and my worldview. And One uh, one of the
2: great mm, features of the show was the storytelling captured social cultural issues. In a way where, oh, it's just science fiction, but in fact, it was pointing directly back to us.
5: And what you were saying about like, all those telescopes that we've made and the things that we can observe in the universe, I've done a, a number of educational short videos for the Spitzer Space Telescope program at Caltech, and it's awesome. The things that that telescope can see are mind-blowing. And when Spitzer you're talking about that... Spitzer Telescope is
2: tuned for the infrared. So a whole telescope orbiting like Hubble is orbiting, except it's checking the universe out in infrared, which enables you to see deep into otherwise opaque gas clouds revealing the birth of stars and planets within so wear a robe around the house
5: (laughs) (laughs) so when we talk about those things that we have done, the things that science has done, those things that human beings have done just through the application of knowledge I think, fuck yeah, we did that we, we sat down as a species, and we decided we want to know these things. We want to understand these things, and we will develop and build instruments that let us do that. And one of the things Gene Roddenberry used to say was... There is no limit to what mankind can do when we just sort of work together. And the only time I ever saw Gene get angry, we were at a convention, and someone was going on and on about the face on Mars and pyramids on Mars and and just a bunch of stuff that was like pseudoscience. And aliens came to Earth, and aliens built the pyramids. And Gene was like, no,
2: they didn't. Human beings built the pyramids. We did that. And he was incensed. Well, So he missed an opportunity. What he should have said was the fact that some members of the human species look upon the pyramids and are so awestruck by them that they cannot even believe that it is a product of our own species is that much more of a testament to how brilliant the human mind can be i
3: still find it difficult to believe that that pot that you can drain pasta through that that was a human being They came up with that. It wasn't even on Star Trek. They just out of nowhere.
2: <laughs> Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host Neil DeGrasse Tyson. We're continuing the broadcast of our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, recorded on March 30th, 2012 along with my comedic co-host, Eugene Merman. Joining me on stage that night were his fellow comedians, Kristen Schaal and Paul F. Tompkins, as well as the actor, Will Wheaton. The cloaking device. A couple of comments about that, if I may. No, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) I'll allow it. You are invisible if the band of light you use to observe it passes through it. So, windows are cloaking devices for visible light. If you shine visible light in window, it goes through. So you don't see the window. You see what's on the other side of the window.
3: But also you can see windows. <laughs> I know that no one ever contests you, but I can totally see windows. I saw one today. Yeah. My <laughs>
2: hotel room,
3: window city.
2: <laughs> I was on a plane, it was full of windows. Gene. <laughs> Yes. Eugene, clean your windows, and then maybe what I said will apply.
3: Oh! Yeah. Snap! Got- I will clean my hotel windows, and then go downstairs to the front desk and be like, I can't see my windows! Because I cleaned them
2: too much! Someone stolen my windows. <laughs> Here's the thing. This space, the walls are transparent to radio waves, and that's why you can like have radio reception, even microwave reception. And so, one way to cloak is to use a beam that goes right through you, okay? So that's one way. Another way to cloak is they found a way to have the light transmit a path around the object and then continue out the other side. And so that way, if you can do that for all beams of light, then you could be invisible to any way they try to detect you.
4: Sounds like it could get kind (laughs) of hot.
2: No, actually, it'd be kind of cool because you feel warm by absorbing energy from light that hits your body. That's why it always feels warmer in the sunlight, even though the air temperature is the same as it was in the shade. The shade is not cooler in air temperature than standing in sunlight. So stop saying that. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is you step out of the shade into sunlight and your skin absorbs radiant energy from that source of light we call the sun. And that way, you have two sources of energy into you, the vibration of the molecules of the air, as well as the sunlight. And air is transparent to sunlight. That's why you can see the sun in the daytime.
4: So the sun is cloaking the air?
2: Yes, very good. In fact, Kristen, if no one told you, why would you even think there was anything between you and the audience right now? They're right there. I can what move are you talking? Are you
3: high? No. <laughs> you went from so much science to like, who knows where we all are now? What I'm, if I'm, I'm you saying. and red
2: is green? <laughs> Air is transparent to visible light. It is not transparent to ultraviolet light, which is why when we first detected ultraviolet light, we needed to put a telescope above Earth's atmosphere, and we would not have known about black holes. Until we put the ultraviolet and x-ray telescopes above the atmosphere. That's all I'm saying.
6: Is black holes the best name they could have come
2: up with? It's a really awesome name. Because if it's a hole in the ground, you fall in? Sure. A a black hole? It's a three-dimensional hole. Mm -hmm. You fall in from any direction you approach it. Fact one. So that's an awesome hole. Look, I am not trying to
6: denigrate the holes themselves. Okay. Okay. I I mean, I let ultraviolet slide. That was definitely a lazy... Like, infrared sounds really cool. And then it's like, it's so violet, it's like ultraviolet. (laughs)
2: Let's watch The Big Lebowski again. (laughs) Well, just so you know, the way we looked at the visible spectrum, we ordered the light. Isaac Newton, my man, first did this. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue indigo violet Okay. <laughs> what are you what, mad whoa. that indigo's left what, out what, all the time yeah. no no what that about? indigo doesn't belong there alright Isaac Newton had a mystical <laughs> fascination with the numeral 7 and he counted 6 colors he said I need a 7th one somewhere let's put in indigo if you're going to put in indigo there are 12 other colors you can put in there because the colors change continuously well
4: if he's your man
2: let indigo be his muse
4: <laughs> oh I like that
2: okay so he's got the seven colors. So we order them red at the bottom, violet at the top. It's quite an arbitrary notion to order them that way. It's an increasing energy, it is. But when you go beyond the violet, it's ultraviolet. When you go below the red, it's infra red.
4: Mm. You must feel so dumb right now.
2: <laughs> I still don't like it. I still don't like it. <laughs>
3: So So if you uh, leave the edges of Seattle, you go to Ultra Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) The closer to Pike Place Market is in front.
1: Do you want to set up your child for success? or the personality there's one site for all the kids in your home pre-k to 12th grade kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive twenty percent off IXL membership when they sign up today at ixl.com/starttalk. Visit ixl.com/starttalk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
5: But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies
4: there on time. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu.
2: Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Our live show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle continues with Eugene Merman, Kristen Shaw, Paul F. Tompkins, and Will Wheaton. Can I tell you how infrared was
4: discovered, Kristen? Yes. You may.
3: Okay. No, let so. me. When Aerosmith first formed, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got this. <laughs> Okay, you take over now. All right,
2: so... (laughs) Isaac Newton asked himself, he was the first to pass white light through a prism, got the colors, put the colors back through a prism, and got white light again to show that white light is composed of these seven colors. All right, he asked himself, could there be more light beyond the edges of these seven colors? (laughs) Later, research would be done to find out whether the colors have different temperatures... And so, a thermometer was put in each color. Now, when how, you're doing a... How? Huh? Just, yeah, you well, said no, th- it
3: normal, but... It, the
6: th- thermometer th-
2: juice is red. Is that going to be an issue? That's right. <laughs> so, you got your colors laid out, and you just lay a thermometer in the colors that came through the spectrum. Okay, no biggie. So, so, no biggie. Right. So, what the experiment does was, as you may remember from your, like, science class... They don't. You, you, you need... <laughs>
6: Also, I like how dismissively he said "science class." Like, you know that so there far were different ones. Your,
2: your mere mortal science classes. <laughs> so you put a thermometer outside of the seven colors. You put a thermometer that is not exposed to any color at all. That's your control thermometer.
4: You mean in black, which is all color? Oh wait, never mind.
2: No, you're right, right. So what That's happened was that thermometer registered the highest temperature of them all. That thermometer discovered infrared light.
5: And is Any that credit? thermometer on a stamp? No.
2: <laughs> but Elvis is. <laughs> to be fair, Elvis discovered green. <laughs> All right. One last thing here. You know what? I like that medical scanner. That was good. You just wave the wand, oh, and man, you just I know, know right? everything.
0: Yeah.
5: Without
2: cutting you open. Right. We need that.
5: Yeah. You know, the guy that invented the MRI invented the MRI because of the device that he watched the original Star Trek, and he watched Dr. McCoy sort of scan around on a thing, and he thought, we should do that. There should be a way that we can see inside people's bodies without having to cut them open.
2: So here's the thing. The physical principle is nuclear magnetic resonance, but that term has one of the two famous N-words in it. And so you to bring that technology... Into the hospital, people fear that N-word, and so they excised it from the name, came up with a new one, so it's magnetic resonance imaging, but it is so nuclear magnetic resonance. I'm just letting you know that, right? And so you send a strong magnetic field across the nucleus of an atom, and the nucleus aligns. Then you can image what the different alignments are depending on the mass of the nucleus. And so you can see where different elements are inside your body without cutting you open. It's a brilliant device invented by a physicist who, by the way, had no specific interest in medicine. Happened to have been a, a physics professor of mine in college, just by coincidence. My point is, there are people who say... So want."
4: that was your science
2: class. <laughs> it was my science class, right. So he won the Nobel Prize for that. My point there is that people say, I want to live healthy, let's fund medical research... Wait a minute, every device in a hospital with an on-off switch that diagnoses the condition of your body without cutting you open... You're making me nervous about my health oh, right sorry, now. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> every one of those machines is based on a principle of physics discovered by a physicist who had no interest in medicine. And it took the medical technologist ah, to say, hey... I feel like... People should give
3: me the money, and I promise to invent a thing for them of no specific description yet.
5: You know, one of the really cool things about the. One of the really great things about the design of the computers on Next Generation, and specifically the tricorders, uh, Michael Okuda and Rick Sternbach are, were the guys that designed all of these things. And Mike had this idea in 1987 that eventually computers were going to be sort of operating system independent. And, and you would come up to a computer and the computer would, one way or another, know what you wanted it to do. And the computer would reconfigure itself to serve that particular purpose. And that's the under... That's to the core, serve
2: man. That's, yes.
5: that's sort of the core philosophy of the Lcars system. And it's why every computer in the Enterprise goes to red tube when Wesley walks by. But um, they, uh, the medical tricorders on, on Next Generation, they were specifically designed so that the doctor could just sort of like, it's the coolest thing in the world, that the doctor just goes, what's wrong with this guy? Point, point, point. And the thing says everything. But you got to take that information to the ship's computer... And then use the ship's computer to sort of interpret all that information. And some of my favorite fake computers on the Enterprise were those things in sickbay. Because of all the computers that we had, they were the ones that looked the most, like, real to me.
2: And what is clear is that the most primitive thing today that the future will assess to be primitive is our hospitals. And evidence of that is you wouldn't be caught in... 20-year-old hospital technology. The fact that the medical community says medical advances is so high and so great and we have come so far, the fact that they say that means they were not far yesterday. If you keep saying how far you've just come, it meant you're still improving, right? You're still not really there that's, yet.
3: That's why I don't go to a doctor. I go to a physicist. Laughter
2: <laughs> You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, funded in part by the National Science Foundation. There's much more of our show at the Neptune Theater in Seattle coming up. So check out our website for details about those shows and how you can also watch the video on the Nerdist TV channel. Until next time, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, saying, keep looking up.
4: At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best.